Okay, please turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. We're actually back in the Gospel. We've been taking a very long break from the Gospels. We have um, been looking a little bit um, at, the, the, at prayer at the beginning of the year, three sermons on prayer, and then we did four sermons as well on the Ten Commandments and the Church Covenant. So it almost feels like we have to start over, right? Mark chapter 1. I'm joking, but, um, but it does feel like a long time, but um, we're actually nearing the end of this beautiful gospel, and we're actually now approaching the heart of all the gospels, which is the, the death and the resurrection of Christ. And today we're going to look at the, the trial of Jesus before Pilate, and notice the story of Barabbas, or Barabbas, uh, I don't know, Afrikaans just sounds better there, Barabbas, right? Um, but, um, and just see how that also shows us the heart of the gospel, the very heart of the gospel. So let's read together. Mark 15 from verse 1. Hear now the words of the living God. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. That's the reading of God's word. Let's just pray to you. Oh, Father, we, we thank you for this awesome privilege to look at this story of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our God, our King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has stooped down so low to be spat upon by His own creation so that he, You might save us, even 2,000 years later, saving us by Your grace and Your mercy. Father, please open this text to us. I pray that we would study it and if we already know what this text is all about, that we would listen to it as if for the first time to stand in awe of your love and your grace for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So, beloved, the three offices of Jesus are that he is our prophet, he's our priest, and he's our king. And in this little story and in the crucifixion to come, we see all three offices being fulfilled in front of our eyes. In this passage, we have that Jesus is the prophet. Remember, in the Gospel of Mark, he prophesied exactly what would happen to him, and it was fulfilled to the T. Listen to Mark 10, 33. It says, Jesus is saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Prophecy of Jesus was fulfilled as, as the true prophet. Jesus' words are true. But also, he's our priest. We see him as the Lamb of God, silent before its shearers, right? Standing before Pilate, not making an answer. He is offering up himself as a sacrifice, not for his own sins, but for the sins of his people. And then probably most clearly, we see Jesus as our king, right? They are mocking, but in an ironic way. We see Jesus as king when they mock him as king. And the accusation is that he is the king of the Jews. And the irony of that is that they are right. He is the king of the Jews, but he is also the king of the Gentiles. He's also the king of kings. He's also the Lord of lords. So they are so right in actually what they're saying with their mocking, which is so ironic. And then one day this king will come again and this, these people will bow down and, make, and, and pay homage to Jesus and say, Hail, king of the world, king of the universe. And then we'll see right in the middle the story of Barabbas and how that really shows us the very essence of the gospel and how we are saved. So we'll simply walk through the text together and then we'll close with two truths we can learn from this text. So let's dive right in. Let's look at verse 1. Verse 1. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. So notice here, this is the second meeting, um, second trial of Jesus. There was a trial by night, the illegal one, right, that was at the uh, high priest's house, and this one was taking place in the morning. So this was like a quick trial to just get the legal stamp of approval from everybody else. So they can just go and crucify him. But now they're bringing Jesus to Pilate. Notice with me one small word in verse 1. It says, and they bound Jesus. That word stands out because Jesus earlier in the gospel says, he was telling the story about Satan and said, how can a strong man come into the house unless someone stronger than him comes in and binds him, right? So, the question for us is, if Jesus is God, if Jesus is the king, how can he be bound? How can the one who has all power and all authority, who is stronger than Satan, stronger than anyone else, be bound by, by mere human beings? Well, if he, if he lets them bind him, right? Jesus is almighty and he humbles himself to be bound for the sake of our salvation. And so now they bring, in, bring Jesus to Pilate and John tells us why. They did this. Listen to John 18, verse 31. It says, Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. See, so they really needed Pilate. They needed the Romans to do the killing. And they just wanted to hand him over for, for Pilate to do that. So they couldn't just kill anybody. They had to let the Romans do it. 
But how will they ever convince Pilate that Jesus is guilty? Because remember, their main accusation against the main reason for his condemnation is blasphemy. Blasphemy. But the Romans don't care about blasphemy. Right? They don't care if you've blasphemed some strange god. But what they do care about is the Roman Empire. What they do care about is politics and Caesar's rule. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is the king. So the religious leaders are trying to translate the, the spiritual accusations to Pilate as a political accusation. Notice in verse 2, it says, And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? So that actually implies what the main accusation was that they brought to Pilate. They were accusing him that he is calling himself the king of the Jews. And that is a problem for Rome if he is claiming that. Listen to actually the full accusation in Luke 23 verse 2. It says, They began to accuse him saying, We have found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying he himself is Christ, a king. Do you hear how they really try to package their accusation to say, listen, he is against Caesar. He's forbidding tribute to Caesar, and he's calling himself a Messiah, the king. And that's why Pilate asks him, are you the king? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replies, you have said so. That's one way to say, yes, but not in the way you think. Not the type of king you would, you would expect. Again, John's gospel, again, fills in the details. The conversation between Pilate and Jesus behind the scenes. John 18, verse 36. Jesus answered Pilate and says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. So probably sensing that Pilate is not convinced by, of his guilt. They continue to heap up other accusations upon him. Look at verse 3 to 5. Verse 3 says, And the chief priest accused him of many things, and Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Notice, it's so interesting, Pilate's question to Jesus was exactly the same question the high priest asked Jesus the previous night. Look at verse four, chapter 14, verse 60. 1460. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? So we see the high priest and Pilate were unsure even about the accusations. They were so confused. They just want Jesus to say something to try to make sense. And just like before, just like at the, before the high priest, Jesus remains silent. He doesn't make any further answer. And that silence is not a silence of defeat, but it's a silence of submission to the Father. It's a silence of giving him his, his, himself over to the will of the Father. It's also to fulfill prophecy. Um, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, listen to verse 7. Isaiah 53 verse 7, it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So Pilate is in a bit, bit of a predicament. He, he sees Jesus as innocent, and he sees through their real reason why they are bringing, him to, why they're bringing um, Jesus to him. 
But he also starts to sense that the Jews are so urgent about this that a riot would probably begin. So look at what happened next. Look at what happened next in verse 6. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. So this was a custom probably to please the crowds because it was a great festival and to just, to just get some of the favor of the people to release someone to the crowds. And we're now introduced to a man called Barabbas. Notice his criminal record in that verse. He was a rebel. He hated Rome passionately. He's also, he say, the text says he was part of an insurrection. He, act, he didn't just hate Rome, he actually did something about it. And probably in that insurrection, he was a murderer. He actually killed someone. And then John 18 says he's also a robber. So murderer, robber, rebel, insurrectionist. This is the perfect candidate for a crucifixion. If anybody would tick the boxes of being crucified, it is Barabbas. Remember that crucifixion was one of the cruelest and most shameful ways you could have died imaginable. So cruel was it, it was illegal for a Roman citizen to be crucified. It was illegal. It was only reserved for the vilest of criminals and those who oppose Rome to, to make an, an example of anyone who would oppose Caesar or oppose Rome. But what gets us closer to the heart of this story is to know what the name Barabbas means. And here is where I, I think God is a master storyteller. Because what the name Barabbas literally means in Hebrew is son of the father. Son of the father. Bar means son and Abba is father. Barabbas is son of the father. So here we have a direct contrast to Jesus himself. So we have two men who will be standing before the crowd and now they will choose who they want to be released for them. Will they choose the son of the father who is guilty of violent crimes, or will they choose the real son of the Father, Jesus, who is innocent and pure and blameless and spotless and, and, and have done no crimes? And that's the tension. Which one will the crowds choose? In verse 8, we read on. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. So what Jesus and Barabbas have in common is both of them are bound before the crowd. So Pilate asked, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? And we see here Pilate actually wanting to release Jesus. Pilate trying to push that Jesus should not be condemned. He's innocent. He, he knows he's innocent. So he thought probably taking Barabbas would be an easy choice. It would be an easy way to get out of this predicament because he knows how, how bad Barabbas is and he knows Jesus is innocent, so it would be easy, right? Isn't this what the Jews anyway want? Don't they want a king over them? Isn't that their whole issue with Rome, that they are under a foreign leader, foreign king? But probably not as wise to, to ask the Jews if they don't, they've rejected Jesus as the Messiah, do you want your king? And Pilate could see through their, their, their motive, right? It says he was handed over because of the envy. But the envy of whom? In verse 10. Specifically, it was the envy of the chief priests. 
So the chief priests, remember, they were the ones ruling the temple and the, the temple worship. And remember, the temple became a business. Just a few days ago, Jesus was throwing over tables and saying, why are you turning my, the house of my father, which is supposed to be a house of prayer, into a den of robbers? You are stealing. You're using religion as a means of gain. And if everybody follows Jesus, what will happen with our business? What will happen? So out of their envy of Jesus and their selfishness to protect their livelihoods, they just want to get Jesus out of the way. But instead of this working out the way Pilate thought, the text continues in verse 11. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. So I think probably what Pilate didn't realize is the influence, the great influence the chief priest still had over the crowds. The crowds are easily swayed. They, one, just a week ago, they were shouting, Hosanna in the highest. And now they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Look at verse 12 to 14. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Notice Jesus asked the question, what, did, what has he done? What evil has he done? And they didn't even answer the question, right? They just shout all the louder, crucify him, crucify him. I think Pilate must have been shocked at this stage. And now he sees that there really isn't any way out but to grant their request, lest there would be a riot. Now the New Testament doesn't focus so much on the violent and gruesome way Jesus died. So we might not understand when we just read in verse 15 that he was scourged. We just read that. But if you understand history, this is a very, very brutal preparation for the cross. The reason why they did this was to make people die quicker. Because if you, you could hang on the cross for days, and this scourging would have ensured that you would have died a quicker death as well. They would bind you to a post and use a whip with leather strips, which had pieces of bone and pieces of metal in it, and it would rip open your back. It was so brutal, many criminals actually died there before they even went to the cross. That was a reality. But the Bible focuses on the shame, the, the mocking of, of our Lord, of Jesus, instead of his physical pain. Look at verse 16 to 20. Look at this. The soldiers led him away inside the palace. That is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion and they clothed him in a purple cloak, twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with the reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. Notice again, every piece of this mocking is related to him as a king. This mocking was before the whole battalion, which is about 600 people, 600 people. They clothed him with a purple cloak, which was the expensive cloak only a king would wear. They put a crown of thorns on his head to imitate the crown of a king. They put a reed in his hand to imitate a royal scepter. 
that a king would have. And then they bowed down to him and cried out, Hail, King of the Jews, as, as they would have cried out, Hail, Caesar. But the irony of ironies is, as we mentioned at the beginning, that they are right. He is the king. They are actually saying true things about him. And that is our king. This is what he has done for us. He did it willingly to save us. Beloved, this story reveals several things to us we should, we should learn. And, and I want to close for us with two truths. Two truths that we should take away from this story. Number one, see here the deep sinfulness of man. See here the deep sinfulness of man. How far will our sin take us? We will kill God. That's what we will do. Nowhere in the history of the world do we see a clearer picture of how deep our sin goes. Nowhere in the history of the world will we see worse sin and more fragrant hatred of God than here. For at this moment, they are spitting on, they are flogging, they are accusing, and they are killing the Son of God, the true Son of the Father. He is the Creator. He created everything. Who do you think was responsible for the death of Christ? Now, there's multiple answers to that question, right? But one of the answers should be, I was. You and me. This is what our sin did. We are the crowds screaming out for His blood. We are the Romans mocking Him as a king and going our own way. We are the ones desiring our own way of living and reject His rule, reject His kingship, reject His authority. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. Beloved, you and I must come to terms with this reality of our world, of our hearts, of our lives outside of Christ. This is who we are. Left to ourselves, we are totally depraved. In our minds, our hearts, our will, our emotions, our affections, all of it is, is corrupted by sin. We are dead in our sin. This is what we do, and we are powerless to change that. We are powerless to change ourselves and our sin within us. But the second truth is the main point of this story. The main point is see the deep grace of our king. See the deep grace, not just the deep sinfulness of our hearts, but also see the deep grace of our king. Just like we should see ourselves as the crowds, we should also see ourselves as Barabbas, he stands in the place of every sinner. We have broken the law. We stand condemned under God's holiness, His commandments. We are the ones who deserve the worst kinds of deaths, like crucifixion and worse. We deserve that. We are bound. We are imprisoned by our guilt and our sin, unable to free ourselves. But then the king comes. The king stepped off his throne entered his world as a man and stood in our place. Barabbas deserves crucifixion and Jesus is crucified. Barabbas is bound, yet he is the one who is released and freed. Barabbas is guilty of his crimes, yet the innocent Lamb of God, who had no crimes, pays for our crimes. Do you see, do you see that connection? The true son of the father, the true king, the true prophet, 
the true priest, the innocent one, the faithful one, the perfect one, sacrificed himself for us, took our sins upon himself. So now, for us, it is not Pilate who has the power to free us or ourselves, but the king himself. The king himself must free us from our slavery. For who the son sets free is free indeed. And what the king commands is to come to him. Come to him. Bow your knee to him. Submit yourself to him. Not bow the knee in mocking like the Romans, but in love and submission and in trust. Come with your debt, the debt you cannot pay back. Come with your crimes, the crimes you've committed, even today, even yesterday, even this week. Come with your filth and your sin. Come as you are and your debt will be erased. Your sins will be forgiven. Your heart will be replaced. Your crimes will be forgotten and thrown into the depths of the sea. For our sins are many, but His mercies is more, are more. So, beloved, just look at this text and just stand in awe of your King. This is our King who stood in our place. So repent of your sins and simply believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it, it almost physically hurts us to even read the story, to even imagine that thorns pierced your head, that people mocked you as if you were worthless, as if you were a criminal, as if you were a fake. But Lord, we are the criminals. We are the ones who were supposed to hang there. We were the ones who were supposed to hear the words, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We were the ones who are guilty, deserving of your wrath, your anger, your judgment. We were the ones, Lord, who rebelled against you, murdered, committed adultery, lied, covetous, idolaters. Lord, we are the lawbreakers. Oh Lord, but we thank you for Christ. We thank you for our true prophet, our true priest, our true king, who alone is worthy, who alone has the power to save us, to change us, to make us new. Father, like Barabbas, you have freed us. We have been released while we were the ones deserving to go and to be crucified. So Father, what else can we say? What else can we do but to love you? and to trust you. Lord, we do love you because you first loved us. You loved us even while we were yet sinners, even in our filth and our rebellion against you. You chose us and adopted us and redeemed us and made us your own. So Lord, help us to walk worthy. Help us to love you, obey you, and trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name.